Welcome to another episode of An English Prof Reads the Bible. I'm your host, Megan, and in this podcast, I use what I know about reading literature to help you read the Bible. Today, we're taking a look at Psalm 42. I chose this one in part because I like this psalm, and in part because it allows us to review some themes and some literary devices that we've studied already, and my teacherly heart couldn't pass up an opportunity to review. We're going to be reviewing implied meaning, and then we've talked a little bit about uh, the connection between different parts of the psalm, but we're really going to focus on that today. And we're also going to introduce a new term, which is ambiguity, in order to understand what the psalm is saying about our suffering and our response and God's response to it. So, as usual, let's get started with reading the psalm. Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, Where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God, with a voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore I will remember you from the land of Jordan, and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mizar. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God my rock, Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. So before I get started, let me say this about connections. When we are thinking about connections between different parts of a psalm or a poem or a text, what we're doing is we're thinking about how the different parts of the text are connected, maybe through some similarity, maybe through some difference in the way things are set up, maybe even things are repeated a little bit. And we see that kind of connection four times throughout the psalm. The very first one is here in verses 1 through 3. Um, in verse 1, we read, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. And then in verse 3, uh, we read, My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, Where is your God? So when we take a look at verse 1, the deer pants for the water brooks, and here the psalm is comparing us to deer, God to the water that nourishes the deer. It's important when we think about the implied meaning uh, to think about what the psalmist didn't say, and here he does not say that God is like the grass. Rather, he says that God is water. Water is, of course, more essential than food. We can go a longer time without food than we can without water. This suggests that God is the very most essential thing uh, for our life. Here, too, the psalmist is directly addressing God. So pants my soul for, 
for you, O God, he says, and the fact that he directly addresses God suggests some kind of personal relationship with him. And then, of course, uh, it's also important to notice that the verb here, um, my soul pants, my soul thirsts, this is present tense, which means that this thirst is ongoing and it is unmet. And so in verse 1 here, I'm seeing that in this world, we often find ourselves in a place of difficulty and in a place where we are longing for God, where we need him to sustain us, and yet that need is often unmet. We are continually longing. And this is a a, a problem for us, which is further developed in verse 3. So in verse 1, the psalmist compares God to water, God to drink, and in verse 3, he brings up food. He says, my tears have been my food day and night. So we see this connection between the the water in verse 1 and the food in verse 3. And the psalmist wants God to nourish him. He needs God to nourish him. And all he get is his tears, which are described as food, but don't really nourish him at all. You know, you can think of those perhaps being in the middle of a famine where you might wind up eating eating a shoe or something just to fill your body, but it doesn't actually nourish you at all. And that's that's what the psalmist is left with here. It's worth noting, too, that the psalmist is consumed by his tears both day and night. We'll come back to that phrase in a minute, but the day and night signals a perpetual ongoing grief. And then the last thing to notice about verse 3 is that the psalmist asks, where is your God? The psalmist doesn't answer this question. He moves from verse 3 into verse 4, which kind of remembers his his past spiritual history. And the fact that he doesn't answer it means that he doesn't have an answer here at this time. I told you at the beginning of the podcast episode that we would be introducing a new term, ambiguity, and all ambiguity really means is that we don't quite know. The text leaves some info out. Here, the psalm is explicitly leaving out the idea of, it's leaving out any answer to where God is in our difficult times. God does not feel close at some times that we need him. We don't, we don't know why this is. There are times when we are in difficulty and we are left spiritually unsatisfied. So at the end of verse 3, we're left in this ambiguous position where the psalmist is has these spiritual longings, is finding himself in suffering and doesn't know what to do about it. This is a hard place to be in, and as evidenced by the unanswered question, there, there are not easy answers. However, the rest of the psalm, some connections in there help us chart out a possible response. I think there are three key connections in the rest of the psalm. The first answers the question, so what is going to happen now? Where do we go from here? And I mentioned earlier that it's important that it says, my tears have been my food day and night, because later on in verse 8, the psalm also says, the Lord will command his love and kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song will be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. And this assurance that God's love and kindness will be with us in the day, and his song will be with us in the night, repeats and calls back to the, the phrase, my tears have been 
my food day and night. And this repetition suggests that at some point, divine love and divine joy is going to replace sorrow. Remember, too, that we've been looking at verb tense, and I like that this verb here is the word will, because will indicates surety, certainty. When I say that Christmas will be on the, uh, Monday, that means I've consulted the calendar, and I know for certain it's going to be on a Monday. And so we can be sure that at some point, this perpetual sorrow and grief that we're going through here is going to be replaced by God's love and joy and presence in our lives. However, notice that it says God God will command his love and kindness. His song will be with me, but it doesn't say when. And so again, this question is left ambiguous. We know that God will return to nourish us and support us and sustain us through difficult times, but he hasn't yet and we don't know why. The second key connection answers the question, so what do we do about this? And here I want you to notice a a connection between the speakers. In verse Five, the psalmist is talking to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. You know, you hope in God, self. You hope in God, soul. And so it's worth noting what he's what he's telling himself here. The word why actually has two possible meanings. Why could mean uh, for what cause. So if I ask, you know, why did the cake burn? Well, I left it in the oven too long, and that's what caused it to burn. Or it can mean uh, to what end. If I ask you, you know, why are you studying so hard? It's because I want to get a good grade on this test. All right, that's the goal that is is prompting all my hard studying. The fact that the psalmist asks, you know, why are you cast down on my soul and doesn't answer it implies a negative answer to both. All right, there is no legitimate cause or purpose for him to be cast down. There's nothing that's happened to him that should cause great sadness. And so that leads him to the place where where he says, all right, you hope in God. He's commanding himself to hope for you shall yet praise him, uh, affirming a certainty of God's blessing, similar to the way that he, he'll say later on in verse 8, the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And so he's come to the spot where he's like we talked about a couple episodes earlier, he's speaking truth to himself. You have no reason to be downcast, and you need to reaffirm your commitment to God and your trust that he will bless you in the future. But before we start thinking about how unrealistic this is, you know, if you've ever been through a hard time, and haven't we all, it can be so hard to to, to think to yourself, oh, there's no good reason for me to be downcast. I'm going to feel chipper all the time. Because the psalmist is not being uh, chipper. His, his commitment to God's faithfulness is balanced out by the fact that in verse 6, the speaker shifts. Um, so there's a connection here between verse 5, where he's talking to himself, and verses 6 and 9, where he's talking to God. And he tells God some really interesting things. 6 starts out pretty ordinary. 
my soul is cast down, he tells God, therefore I will remember you. And then verse 9 goes in a completely unexpected direction. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? And so by calling him God, my rock, he's affirming God's faithfulness. And yet in the very next sentence, he's telling God, you have forgotten me. What's up with this? And he's describing his current spiritual trouble. He's lamenting. He's complaining to God. And it's worth noting, remember, we always look at what what is not being said, as well as what is said, that he is not rebuked for this, which suggests that his complaint is not wrong. It's okay for him to have this moment of lament and complaint to God. And so we have this contrast here between the speaker talking to himself and the speaker talking to God, which suggests a tension between, on the one hand, finding ourselves in trial in a situation where God seems to be withdrawn from us. And in that moment, it's important to reaffirm and preach to ourselves God's faithfulness, especially his future faithfulness to us. But at the same time, it's also natural and a valuable response to respond with grief and lament and even complaint to God. And this is ambiguity again, an unresolvable tension or conflict between two different perspectives. We don't necessarily have to nail it down. Um, Truth is usually somewhere in the middle. Uh, between two poles. And so our third connection here answers the question, so where does this leave us now? And what I want you to notice is the repetition between verses 5 through 11. They are almost identical. Both read, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance. And then verse 11 adds something. It ends with, and my God. And the word my indicates belonging. At the end of the psalm, the speaker reaffirms the fact that he belongs to God and is held by God. And so on the one hand, throughout the psalm, we have this certainty of hardship. And in that hardship, the certainty of feeling abandoned by God, not being able to figure out where he is in this difficult time. And that never really goes away. That feeling doesn't in this psalm. At the same time, the speaker has this certainty a future love and joy replacing his his current troubles and he has this certainty that he belongs to God whether he feels it or not and so what that leaves us with is the idea that continually throughout this life in physical difficulty in spiritual difficulty there are times that we will feel abandoned by God and that won't be easily resolvable. And one normal response is to lament and to grieve that. It's normal to be grief-stricken when our source of sustenance is removed from us. But at the same time, even while we acknowledge the pain and the difficulty, we want to reaffirm our hope in God's future faithfulness, not present, not felt, but certain nonetheless. That leaves us with our two applications. My spiritual application is, I think it is reassuring that even when we don't feel like God is there, and we will feel like that, he is there, and his eventual faithfulness is certain nonetheless. 
And then my literary application is an encouragement to you to look for connections, um, similarity, difference, repetition among words, and to be okay with ambiguity, tension, and unanswered questions. This has been the fifth episode of An English Prof Reads the Bible. I'm your host, Megan. If you enjoyed today's show, be sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, leave us a review, and tune in next time for another episode. Thank you.